Hello and welcome to another episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr. Um, thank you so much for listening. And um, if you haven't already, please do subscribe. Um, last week, uh, or our last episode, I don't know if you follow along or if you just listen as we go, whatever. But last um, episode was with Citrus City Records and it was one of our most downloaded episodes ever. Peeps really seem to love that one. Lots of Twitter engagement. And uh, that was a great episode. Today, we also have another good episode, so it's a good thing you uh, you pressed play. Double Double Whammy Records, and I'm, I'm speaking today with one of the founders, Mike, and, and it's um, it, this is a great label. This is one of those labels where I had been listening to a few of their records in the past year or two. And in, as soon as I had the idea for the podcast, they were, you know, within the first uh, 10 or so labels I, I really wanted to get a chance to talk to. And uh, I think you're really going to love this episode. And, and I'm, I'm so excited for that. Before we do, I wanted to tell you, though, um, we're coming up to the end of the year. And again, I don't know where, when you're listening to this. This could be decades into the future. But we are coming to, to the end of the year. And... Um, hopefully take a little bit of a break. Um, but we're, we're, I'm going to launch this little kind of like industry insights thing where I have some conversation with some non-label people. So some, some playlisting people and, and some authors and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, so those episodes are going to be really cool. Um, and then also some, some, some other incredible labels, um, still, in the can and and ready to show for you. Let's talk about how you, the listener, can get 10% off this great ebook from Work Hard Playlist Hard. Um, I want to tell you, our label, Other Songs, has experienced some recent um, micro success with Spotify playlists. And I've said in the past that that playlisting has become a focus for our label because it's something that I've noticed can can um, expose you to a new audience as well as as generate some uh, some modest, consistent income for the label and for the artist. Um, and and the success we've had recently has has is been due in part to two things. Number one, uh, this new feature that play um, that Spotify has announced a couple weeks ago where you can actually pitch your music directly to their editorial staff as well as a, an interesting feature that if you if you give them a, at least a week or two lead time on a single or an album they will um, include one of your songs or your new song into um, the release radar playlist of your followers all of them and that's an incredible thing and the the other um, uh, contributor to some of our our success has been this ebook that I'm I'm talking to you about from from this third party curator work hard playlist hard and and uh, and Mike the guy there is is a genius when it comes to um, playlisting and he's compiled a lot of his research and, and information and facts. The book is ten bucks. You get an extra dollar off if you go to ebook.otherrecordlabels.com and use the coupon code other. It really helps us out, and uh, and I think you're really going to like this book. Actually, um, just like while I was in between calling you back, I I brought up Lomelda on Audio Tree. Um, oh, nice man! The audio on Audio Tree is so good. Like, God, I, I, yeah, I know. It's like sometimes it's even sometimes I prefer uh, like listening to artists on Audio Tree over their album. Their album. I mean, like I love <laughs> yeah. you know, but. Like, not for Lamelda, I don't think, but like there've been a couple bands like ha- Half Waves. Uh, yeah, yeah, Audio Tree is incredible, and so is Mannequin Pussies. Um, my uh, the probably the first time I think I heard it, what my friend's band uh, Basement Revolver did a session there a couple months ago, and I was like just blown away by like especially this one today, the Lamelda one I was listening to on headphones. And yeah, it's it's just mixed like a record. <laughs> it sounds so good. Totally. I guess that's um, that's probably one of their like the things about them that makes it so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. So listen, I want to ask you about this. Is like one of the labels that I say this a lot, but this specifically is one of the labels that just has turned up in my social feed like so much in the past couple of years, and and. Uh, or or uh, definitely in the past uh, year or two. Everything okay there? Yep. Okay. Um, 
you know, like specifically like Florist and Lomelda, um, Howdy. And I, I uh, yeah, so I'm just really, really stoked to, to be talking to you today. Thanks for doing That's it. awesome. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So you started the label when you were in college. Is that true? How did things... That's true, yeah. How did it all get started? Um, me and my friend, uh, Dave. So we, we had started a band together that was called Level Up. Mm-hmm. And we were just kind of like recording in our bedrooms. Uh, decided to put together like a cassette tape of 13 tracks that me, Dave, and our friend Nick had made. Um, and I, I don't really exactly remember why we thought it was necessary to have like the name of a label attached right. to it, but we were just like, well, no one's going to put out this thing that we made in our bedroom. Um, we're like, let's just put it out ourselves. Let's just call it Double Double Whammy. Um, and that was, <laughs> was it. That yeah, easy? we just like, yeah, it was that. Really, that's <laughs> that's all there was to it. We were just like, let's make up a fake thing. Yeah, and yeah. this is what that was. Um, we dubbed like a hundred cassette tapes in our room. We printed out some artwork in our uh, library and visual arts building, and just kind of like threw together a cassette tape. Played a release show, which was the band's first ever show, and it just kind of went from there. Um, it was super easy. It was super cheap. We made the money back. Like I think we both put a hundred bucks in. Made the made the money back really quickly, and we're just like, well, there's a bunch of other bands on this campus that we really like. Let's do another one. So we started doing them for our friends, and just kind of took off from there. What year was this? This was 2011. Was the first cassette? Okay. And okay, so you make a cassette, you and you dub it at home, and you print the jackets at home. Uh, we printed the jackets in the school, like, visual arts building. Right. Okay. Okay, but, cool. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And th- did you have a website, or did you sell them online or Bandcamp? I think we put them on uh, Level Up's Bandcamp, uh, and maybe we started a Tumblr. Okay. Yeah, it was, like, yeah. like a Tumblr-based situation. It, w- it was super, like, I don't know, uh, unprofessional. I yeah. think we mostly only sold them on. Band camp in the beginning, right? Uh, and at shows, mostly at shows, I would say. And back um, in 2011, it was still pretty arduous to ha- put a record up on Apple or iTunes, right? Was it on iTunes? No, we didn't have it on any like uh digital service providers or yeah. anything. Um, it was just Bandcamp, and I think maybe we uploaded some stuff to SoundCloud, oh, okay, uh, and that was what like some blogs were posting. I, actually, I don't even know. They might've just been posting, uh, the band camp link. So like, did you get a good response? Like from pe- uh, from people outside of your friend circle from this release? Sort of. Yeah. Um, some like pretty small blogs picked it up at first when sure. we did this cassette release, but it was pretty quickly, uh, picked up by this label, um, in Philadelphia called evil weevil who wanted to put it out on vinyl. Wow. And so, yeah, so that came out in February of 2012, uh, just maybe six months after the original release. Sorry, and how did you record the record? Just like in GarageBand. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> on, yeah, it was just like GarageBand in our bedrooms and sometimes in the student center, uh, which we had access to like some practice spaces in the student center. Yeah. So we would all have like band practice there. So you must have been pretty stoked when a late, like a late wanted to do vinyl in 2011. Yeah, it was the first uh, like piece of vinyl that any of us were ever on. Because um, we were all playing in different bands too, who also put out um, some LPs later on. But this was like kind of our first hmm. f- first time and it, it felt really cool. So, okay, so you had already started Double Double Whammy as a, like, just pretend, just for this release. When you got mm-hmm. signed to this other label, what happened to, to Double Double Whammy? Was it a co-release, or did you just put that on hold? Um, so, DDW just did the cassette, um, and we were only doing cassettes for a while. Okay. Then when Evil Weevil decided to, I guess it was like a, I don't want to call it a reissue, but right. it was like, they just 
they put it out on vinyl six months later right. and uh that was just them ddw wasn't involved at all and that was kind of when the band got a little more recognition just because it was a little bit of a uh wider release and a, a more well-known label mm. um evil evil was putting out some really cool music at the time they had done like some big eyes stuff um diarrhea planet and just like a, a bunch of cool like philly punk bands right um but that was when kind of more people started paying attention to the band and whenever people pay attention to the band it kind of uh it's so level up and ddw are so linked right. that when people start paying attention to level up they automatically find out about ddw and vice versa a lot most of the time and there's a connection too, sonically too. Like people will will probably like the other bands. Totally, yeah, right. yeah. I feel like that first release, Level Up Space Brothers, was kind of like set the set the tone for what a lot of the releases that were going to come out on the label sounded like. Right. So, did you have a okay? So the six months after the first release was Level Up, and then it got it got picked up half a year later by on on vinyl what mm -hmm. happened in those six months did you do other releases on ddw yeah i think we probably did about two or three more cassette tapes for just uh some friends bands mm -hmm. around we we went to suny purchase so these were mostly all suny purchase bands okay we would just do like a run of 100 cassette tapes and then when they were sold out they were gone forever they weren't distributed to any um you know streaming services or whatever most of them still exist on Bandcamp, but even I've, I've gone back and tried to find some of the oldest releases and I can't find them anywhere. <laughs> um, That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those, those exist on like 100 cassette tapes and like nowhere else. Yeah. Yeah. The, the um, like when you talk about when, you know, for people outside of indie label circles, when you talk about cassettes today in 2018, a lot of people will give you a funny look. What was it like yeah. in 2011? I think for uh, the world that we were existing in, they made a lot of sense because all of like our bands and all of our friends' bands, uh, like basically all the artists that we were playing with and working with, we're all just playing in basements, mm -hmm. um, like, you know, either like apartment shows or basement shows or whatever, just like super DIY spots. And everyone was only selling cassette tapes. It's like, if you had a piece of vinyl, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. It seemed like it was like, right. Oh, like you have like an album. That's like, you're pretty <laughs> legit or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, in the small, like niche scene that we were in, it wasn't, weird at all right. i guess when we talked about it to our you know parents or whatever sure. like oh yeah i'm putting out some cassette <laughs> tapes they were just like those still exist you know? <laughs> yeah. um did you consider we, cds at all no i honestly cds were the last format that we uh like adopted at ddw because wow. from from cassettes we jumped to to doing we did a couple seven inches and then we did uh our first like 12 inch and, it, you know, it was probably not until 2016, honestly, that we started doing CDs. Wow. That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. And I, some, some releases I still don't even do CDs for. Yeah. I saw They're that. kind of like the worst, the worst selling format for us. But there, but there's still enough that it's, it's still worth it to do it. Is that right? Usually we do them for promotional purposes. Uh, okay. We'll say we'll send them to like radio stations because a lot of stations won't play, um, oh, you know, won't, yeah. Right. Like they'll, they'll just disregard downloads and they'll only play CDs or whatever. Right. So we send them out for promotional purposes like that. And then we'll put a few for sale online. The bands will take them on tour. Yeah. And I mean like nowadays they're so cheap to make. And, and I mean, you can make 20, yeah. you can make 50 of them and it's not, yeah, yeah I see what you mean. Uh, was there, so going back, um, like I said at the beginning of this, and I wasn't just, uh, I wasn't just blowing smoke here, but this is a label that pops up in my feed so much, not specifically the label, but Howdy and, and Lomelda and Florist. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are such gorgeous records and Frankie Cosmos and even the stuff that you're, you're pre-releasing and just announcing now, it's like, 
Those are the things that the writers and the publicists that I follow on Twitter that are they're retweeting about and talking about. So it seems, you know, your label is definitely, um, in my opinion, or, or at least from what I'm seeing in my uh, algorithm, is right at the top for indie releases. Um, was there like a turning point for your label in the past seven years or was it just a, a slow build? Um, well, that's, that's really cool to hear, first of all. Um, but I, I think, yeah, there was, there's, I look back on this one, like, defining moment for the label, um, okay. of it kind of like stepping into like a new, uh, I don't know, level or right. whatever. Um, and that was when we put out that first Frankie Cosmos record. Okay. Uh, so we basically, what happened is we were just doing cassette tapes, um, couple seven inches that weren't really selling that well and then uh we we're frankie cosmos was a super small band at that time too just like another band we were playing shows with like at purchase and in new york city and wherever um but they had a fairly small fan base the same way that that the label did and we were talking to them about doing a cassette tape uh which you know, that's what Zentropia was going to exist on was just a cassette tape. But then when we heard the record, it was just, it kind of like blew us both away. And we were just like, man, like this needs to be on vinyl. Like I want, I want to own this on yeah. vinyl. And we were like, let's just, let's just do it, I guess. So we both invested, uh, we both like put it on our credit cards basically and decided to, because it was still me and Dave at this point. Right. Um, we just decided like, yeah, let's like, let's make the investment. Let's both put whatever, a couple thousand dollars in or whatever, yeah. and, like make this big jump. We had just graduated college at this point. It was 2013 okay. when we started working on that record. Sure. And, and it came out in, in 2014, right? It came out. Yeah. In the beginning of 2014. Um, I think March, 2014. Yeah. And it was kind of this weird overnight success that, uh, for both the band and for, for the label. And it felt kind of like we were getting thrown into the deep end. Right. And I think enough people at that point were kind of looking at the label where when we started getting it over our heads, like uh, a few people kind of like reached out to us and were like, hey, like we see what you're doing. We want to help you. Hmm. And kind of made sure that we didn't completely like run the label into the ground. And I honestly, I feel like it's been that way ever since just like people being like, I believe in what you're doing. Like, I want to help you not like fail. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's been really, really cool. What was it about what, what happened with the record that made it an overnight success? Um, I mean, aside from being a great record, but what I, I think like, uh, it's so funny. It's, I, I remember so specifically we were talking to Greta about wanting to do an LP and we were like, we were thinking maybe we could do 300 copies of this LP. And she was like, I don't even have 300 fans on Facebook. <laughs> and, yeah. and we were just like, yeah, but I feel like, you know, people will hear this and they're going to want to buy it. It's like really, really good. And she said, okay. And we, I think we put up the pre-order um, me and Dave were on tour with Level Up at the time, and we put up the pre-order and checked it like in the next morning after the first song had come out. Yeah, and it had like a hundred pre-orders. No way! It was crazy. And like at that point, we had only been doing cassette tapes of like you know runs of one hundred or whatever. Yeah, and we had sold that many LPs like overnight, and we were just like, oh shit! And so we upped the order to five hundred. And it just kind of took off. She got like a best new track on Pitchfork. And, wow. Um, did, where did you it, premiere the single? Did you premiere it or did she just release it or like a hundred people? Like, yeah, I can't even remember. I feel like, I think that she just like released it. I, I feel like, I can't remember exactly. Um, but we weren't doing, I know we weren't doing press at that time. Like we had no idea wow. like anything yeah, we didn't know we were doing it all. I mean, it that's just such like, a it was an accident. That's an incredible story, and it's it's actually like 
a, a fantasy of people who run indie labels because yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's like when I, when I'm looking at, you know, um, quantities for, for pressing or for, you know, maybe tapes or for vinyl, it's like, when you look at that 200, you're like, okay, 200 is reasonable. But then, you know, you know, like, like she said, it's like, well, hold on a second. Like I only have, you know, I maybe only sold a hundred digital copies of my last record and I don't even really know that many people who own a turntable, you know, <laughs> you start yeah. doing the math and you realize like, I might only be able to sell 20 of these. Yeah, so exactly. That's such a great story. Yeah, it was, it really just felt like this crazy accident or like just this thing that just like happened to, to us or something where, where we, we really didn't expect that. We believed in the album and mm. we wanted to put it out, but we had literally no expectations um we were just like working with our friends at the time and but when yeah you, that was kind of the the beginning of the label being what it is now i would say when you believe in a record um it's it must be pretty affirming to you know for other people to say yeah this is a, a brilliant record yeah definitely and it's weird because sometimes you feel that way about a record and nobody says that and you don't sell yeah. like any copies yeah. really yeah. I, we've put out records that I, I believed in so hard and I still believe and I think they're great records that have just not gotten the attention that I feel like they deserve. That's the trademark also, of my label, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like happens all the time. I don't know what it is that defi- like makes or breaks a band because every release that we put out, I feel the same way about. And yeah. sometimes they, they work out and sometimes they don't, but... We yeah we've had it work a few more times and I felt like for the first several like after that all of the releases we we're doing maybe for the next ten releases were very much like learning experiences right where we were trying to recreate that first thing uh, that we we're trying to recreate that what happened with the Frankie Cosmos album and it wasn't working exactly the same way. But every time we were like, oh, so we should hire press so we could get like a premiere or Mm -hmm. like, oh, we should be ordering this amount of records to start or like, oh, what's distribution? Maybe we should try to get our stuff on Spotify. Right. Um, Until finally, we kind of had a process for what we did. Right. And it kind of was a little smoother sailing from there. It's so frustrating how... um evasive the music industry is and how like mysterious it is because uh, you know i've experienced the same thing where i've had a a track um get featured on a great spotify playlist and then with no press and then Mm -hmm. the next track comes out and so i do no press again and i get no and nobody picks it up and it doesn't it gets barely any streams and so then i'm like should I do press? But then it's like, well, if I pay for press, it doesn't make sense because I didn't have to pay for press the first time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so, it's so hard to know what to do. Yeah. Was yeah, it, for sure. I, I still feel that way. Well, that's good to hear. Was it, was it rosy all the way up or were there times where you wanted to shut it down? The label. There were definitely times where we wanted to shut it down. Um, yeah, there's there, there's definitely times where it was like really close to shutting down. Really? Uh, yeah, just because like I mean, it, it was such a passion project for us. Like we, you know, we weren't taking any money. We, I was, I was like destroying. My credit is completely destroyed oh, because man. I just like was putting so many releases on just like my personal credit card because I I just wanted them to come out and like I believed in these things right. and it was such a passion project. And then whenever you run into a situation where I don't know, like just something like really shitty happens. Like, like I, I, I don't, I can't talk specifics, yeah, but no, just I, like, sure. you know, just, like a band breaks up like, or something. Yeah. Or like, uh, you feel underappreciated or like you mm-hmm. kind of get, uh, stepped on by like bigger labels or industry people yeah, sure. or whatever, yeah. you know, or like a lawyer, a lawyer threatens you and you're just like, dude, I'm doing this for my bedroom. Like, yes. Absolutely. I don't have a lawyer. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's like really stressful or like yep. people get mad at you for yeah. something, you know, getting messed up and you're just like, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I yeah. Mean, this type of, um, this type of world, it does expose you to, I mean, everyone has expectations and everyone, um, cares about their music. And there's also a lot of artists out there who've read a lot of hor horror stories. And I think they feel like, oh, this, this label is out to take advantage of me. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe not, not that drastically, but, um, I've, I've worked with some people or I've see, talked to some people who kind of start on the defensive, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it is weird. I know it's exactly what you mean it to be. It is stressful to think, hold on. This is like, this is still a joke for me. <laughs> this is still just like for fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is like a thing that I do because I love it. Not a mm. thing I do because I'm like trying to make a bunch of money or something. Yeah. Cause if I was trying to do that, I would have definitely gone into a different, uh, you know, career. <laughs> Any career in the last yeah. few releases. Like I can hear a, a distinct sound. I mean, most of the releases, I think there's a distinct sound that comes from your label. Is that, consistency and sound a coincidence or is it intentional um i wouldn't say it's intentional i think that a lot of it comes from at this point like uh i'm i'm the only person that's doing like a and r mm. so i've been kind of like picking all the things to basically to my taste right and it just turns out that that's that's what i like but I, i've kind of noticed that i'm doing that and i'm trying to make sure that I'm not like pigeonholing the label in like one certain sound. But there, oh, is, wait, wait. there is a thing where, uh, I mean, there is a kind of a thing where if you announce a record, I, I feel like the core of your fans, myself included, could probably pre-order that safely without even hearing it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And that's a good thing. Yeah. I'm definitely not, that yeah that that is a good thing and i think that what i'm trying to navigate now is how can how can the label continue without kind of like built-in fan base or like that that loyalty to to the label just like thinking that whatever comes out on ddw i'm gonna like because of all these past releases yeah how can i do that but also have things that sound different yeah um so i think we're we're starting to like work with a few new bands that will fulfill that hopefully mm. um you know people that like the howdy record in the forest record will like this other artist that we're going to put out in a few months or whatever is there a is there a subgenre that you'd like to get into that you haven't yet i'm pretty open to most genres right now but i i have been like i mean in the in the office so much of what we listen to is like uh like pop music and a lot of like R and B. Mm. I guess like I would I'd be interested in diving into that world a little right. more. Um, we're working this record right now that is the poppiest thing that we've done, but I I think that it still, uh, like you said, um, still works with the sound of the label. We're working with this band called Hatchy. Okay. And it's like a, kind of like indie pop. Yeah, I saw but that. Also, yeah. yeah. In, it's like indie pop in the vein of you know the cranberries mm. and uh but also i don't i don't exactly know how to <laughs> how to ex put it into words yeah, yeah. but um I mean, but kind of yeah going towards that direction a little bit i think it's i mean from my perspective as someone who like you know runs a label and and wants to expose people to music there's like you know um, for, for the, in the past for us, it's been kind of indie folk music and, and, but I've, you know, I'm a huge fan of like instrumental and ambient music and drone. And it's like, man, I would love to, uh, expose people to that. But at the same time, as a music fan on the other side of things, I look at your website and I look at your records and I feel comfortable with the consistency. And I look at, um, just yesterday I was like going through your pre-orders and I was looking at Sean Henry and when I clicked on it, and this is a, a, a record that's coming out um, in July, this month, and I looked at the album cover, and I looked at the cassette, 
And I just like looking at the whole package, I was like, I'm going to like this. <laughs> and, I, and then I clicked on the song and I did like it. And I know, yeah. I just think there's something really, uh, as a consumer, it's like stepping into a retail store that you normally go to and you're like, I just like everything here. Yeah. I don't think there's well, that's any. cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to talk about the music because, um, the kind of channeling off this for a second, the, the records have a really nice DIY lo-fi sound. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, a lot of them also, uh, marry that sound with a really lush hi-fi production. I know, you know, like I, I noticed that a lot on the, on the florist record and, Howdy record feels lo-fi, but it's very, very rich and sounds great. Are you involved totally. with the recording process at all? Uh, does the recording process become a part of the label aesthetic at all? Not at all, no. Um, I mean, besides the level up stuff. Right. Um, yeah, no, every, I, I think a lot of that comes from, I mean, the, the label is still, so small and, and so like still trying to get on its legs financially. Mm. Um, so in the, in the, a lot of releases have been done on like little to no budget. Um, or when there is a budget, it's like still fairly restricting. So I think a lot of the artists, um, just use whatever resources they have available to them. And it all kind of ends up sounding this way, mm. you know? Right. Right. Um, cause a lot of them are just like, <laughs> well, I can't go into a studio because I don't have like thousands and thousands of dollars. So I guess I'll record this like in my bedroom or yeah. like at my yeah. friend's house or whatever. And that's how most of, yeah, like the Forest record was recorded in a house upstate. Oh, and man. the Howdy, Howdy record was recorded in, in their house. Wow. Um, I, I would say like that's kind of the case for most of the bands. There, there are definitely a few that have like been able to... Uh, have access to a studio for whatever reason, like maybe somebody works there or mm -hmm. maybe um, someone's involved in recording, but uh, yeah. I like how that uh, limited resource, I mean, I'm a big fan of the studio, but I, I like how um, that fact of limited resources in a way has created this, a new genre. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And the home totally. recording is, has just, created something that we're all sort of drawn to totally yeah it's i mean it's gotten so much easier to record records that literally yeah literally anyone can do it i'm actually surprised with when you when you say the howdy and florist because um they that they were you know quote unquote home recordings because um mm -hmm. they're mixed really well and they sound um they sound beautiful they still have that human element but they sound really good yeah, those are yeah, those are a couple of cases of like, I especially florists like everybody in that band um, has been so involved in like uh, elements of recording for a long time. So they have all this like really beautiful like vintage gear. Oh, that's great! Um, and like so much of that record is like yes, it was recorded in the house, but also it's like was recorded on like analog gear right. or whatever. Yeah, sure, like, sure. And that's actually a good point because I think of some of my, my friends who are musicians who are, are, um, who are doing really well and who are, are very talented musicians. And I think part of being in today's world, part of being a good musician is, you know, probably is, is having, um, a little bit of, uh, has having great gear is, um, knowing about studio gear, knowing how to use that gear and respecting it. I kind of feel like gone are the days where like, a bunch of 17 year olds walk into a studio and have no idea they're holding a $10,000 tube mic. You know, I think, right, I yeah. think everyone is kind of starting to learn everything about the process. And I think that's mm -hmm. helping. Yeah. And I also think that, uh, I also think that people have been able to figure out like more and more creative ways to use a lot of like cheap gear that's like accessible yep. to them, you know? Yeah, totally. You know, if you're recording at home, you're probably only going to have, I don't know, like a few hundred dollars worth of gear that, at your disposal. Mm. Um, and I know people like like Alex G, just like all of those old records. Like even I don't I don't know much about the recording of the new one, but I think even up through uh, 
you know, the last record or two records ago was all recorded just like straight into his computer using just like one microphone, <laughs> like at home. But those records sound awesome. And yeah. like they sound really unique because he's experimenting. Um, wow. Yeah. And I think that there's actually, we're entering into a time where we're using analog gear and we're using the, the digital convenience that we have. And we're, we're able to do something that our, you know, that people 20 years ago couldn't do. And I think we have these four track task cam recorders and 20 years ago, that's all people had to record with. But now we can figure out ways to use those with pro tools and figure out ways to use like really good mics into these kind of crappy boxes. And then yeah. it's creating a whole new sound. Totally. I think it's great. I, I looking at all of your releases, um, and especially like the releases that you you did last year, um, which feels like that would be hard to top. And now looking at the releases you have this year, um, I find it very intimidating. How many records per year do you feel like you can handle? Do you ever worry about inundating the same press contacts too much or your fans too much? Um. Well, for in terms of how many we can handle, I actually think that this year we we undershot it. Uh, really? The past, I think like 2016 and 17, both. I I think if I'm rem remembering correctly, is like we did eight releases each of those years. Wow. And this year, I was like, yeah, I guess we'll do eight again. And I actually have been kind of kicking myself because I feel like we could have handled ten. Um, but that being said, like a lot of a lot of uh, planning goes into our releases now, like right. very advanced planning. So if I were to take on a record now, it probably wouldn't come out till 2019 because right. we sure. like, we give ourselves like a long time, which I think has been really helpful for the label mm. um, in terms of like rolling out things pretty uh, concisely, right, right, yeah. or like intentionally. And, and um, but yeah, we could have done 10. Wow. That's great. And so that's like, you're looking at like, like pretty much one a month minus Christmas and yeah. Else. And like, yeah. And I feel like usually most of November in all of December, I would say like we avoid putting out records right. just because like, that's when press kind of starts like wrapping up for the year, doing year end list. And there's like a lot of holidays. And right. so we kind of, avoid those months yeah no that's smart oh well, that's interesting and i always wonder that too like i um i always worry i mean especially for you you're you've said you know for the most part it's just you um and so, i actually have yeah so it was me and dave okay and dave ended up leaving in 2016 so it, it was just me for a while and that i think that's why eight releases per year is what was in my head mm -hmm. um but actually, I've just recently this year, 2018, have hired my first person to work with wow. me. Wow! So congrats. It's not just me anymore. <laughs> Thanks. That's great. Yeah, feels feels kind of crazy, honestly. But. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a little bit about like pitching a record and, and press. This is something that's really daunting to a lot of uh, small labels like myself. Um, the strategy for a lot of people who don't have a strategy is just to send a million emails and hope that something sticks. Has mm. there been a reliable strategy for you when it comes to pitching a record? Uh, what advice would you give to, to smaller labels? So I guess it, it would kind of depend when you ask me, you know, it's like, like way back when we started, maybe for the first two or three years, uh, you know, we were doing that strategy where we just like, I, I, there was like such a so much more of a presence on Tumblr at that time, like Blogspot wow. and Tumblr, mm -hmm. where we would spend a long time going through all these like blogs that we really liked, finding uh, like a contact somehow on that on that blog, and just like messaging them and seeing how many of these tiny blogs we could get to like <laughs> pick up these these uh, you know streams. Yeah. Um. And and then we started hiring out. But hiring out for PR is so stressful because just because you're paying for a service doesn't mean that the person working it like actually cares about right, right. the release. And like I feel like we we run into a, this thing where we spend a couple thousand dollars or whatever doing press, and 
were really disappointed by the results mm. and like this person just didn't care. They were hired to do the thing and whatever. But, um, actually since 2000 in January, 2015, we've used the same press person for every release that we've ever, that we've done awesome. for three years now. And the reason we do that is because we know that this person really cares about the releases, really cares about the label and is going to take the time and effort, uh, that it takes to run a successful campaign. So um, that's just kind of something that we learned from trial and error, mm. Tri- working with a few different people, trying it ourselves, until finally we found one person that we really felt like could represent us in, in a way that we felt good about. That's great. I never thought of that. I'm, um, and to, to think that you found someone who's like an extension of the label, like a, a essentially like a contract, like a staff member or something. Who totally. Yeah. To like know, any, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Like who gets to know all your releases, your previous releases, your forthcoming releases. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He knows, he, he knows like everything about the label and, and the releases. And, and even before, like sometimes I'll just bounce ideas off. I'm like, just like, Hey, what do you think of this? Like I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, releasing this or signing this band, like, and oh, wow. kind of like getting a second opinion. Yeah. Work very closely together. It's, it's really cool. That's an amazing to, to be able to have that relationship and trust that relationship because I've, you know, there's the times where I'm like, you know, you thinking about asking, uh, should I, you know, should I hire this company to pitch this record? But it's like, well, of course they're going to say yes. Like if I ask them, like, do you think this, record has a good chance or this single has a good chance of getting picked up by these blogs or whatever. Like, I feel like in my heart, I'm like, they're going to say yes because they want the money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So it's nice to get a, an honest answer from someone. Yeah. And I think that a big part of it was that, um, he originally reached out to us and was just like, Hey, I love the label. Like I would love to work on something sometime. Oh, nice. And so it's like, Oh, this person actually cares and like knows what's going on. And, but that, that's the other thing is we, we do like part of my strategy has been forming these really strong relationships with different people that we work with. So it's kind of the same thing goes for radio. Um, we've worked with the same like radio people for a few years now Hmm. and I bounce ideas off them all the time because I, I trust them. They know exactly like what's going on with the label and it just, it feels like an extension of the label. It's that's so great to be able to have people who will that you trust, um, who could do as good a job as you or better, and frees you up to to do what you're good at. Yeah, your own band level up. We started talking about that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it essentially started the label, but you mm-hmm. guys were eventually signed to Sub Pop. Is that true? That is true. Yeah. Um. So were you? Like, were you signed to Sub Pop and running W at the same time? Yep. Wow. And yeah, touring, touring like pretty <laughs> touring. consistently, and what was that running time the label like? from the road? It was really stressful. Um, it was like r- like running the label while on tour is is really was really hard, and I wouldn't want to have to really do it again um, for an extended period of time because. I, I mean, I was just spending all day looking at my phone, like trying to answer emails as as like quickly as I could and like decide what emails were more important than the other ones, like what I need to respond to right now and what can wait until I get back in a yeah. few weeks, yeah. you know, so. Wow, that's incredible. And was it a co-release in any way or, or was Level Up completely removed from DDW? Um, yeah, it was just it was just a sub pop release. Um, DDW wasn't affiliated with that. That record was called Return to Love. Mm-hmm. So they put out Return to Love, and then they put out like just a kind of like a one off single that we did pretty recently too. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, that had great but, artwork, um, by the way. Oh, thanks. I love that artwork. Um, you. Would you? Um, Okay, so I read somewhere that you didn't want to self-release that LP, that you wanted to find a label. Why was that? Yeah, uh, that had a lot to do with 
like DDW and Level Up were so intertwined that um, we found. Let me see, let me think of how to say this. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so we there's a couple reasons. One is that we found that we were prioritizing other bands over ourselves. Oh, so wow. it would be like, oh, like this, uh, like Mitski record is coming out like around the same time as the Level Up record, but like we ended up paying a lot more attention to like the Mitski record or whatever. Um, and like level like level up ran oh yeah this is what it was level up ran out of hoodwinked LPs and um, which was the second level up record that we released and I think Frankie Cosmos ran out of LPs at the same time and it was like we only have enough money to repress one thing so we went with like the other band and the I don't know that kind of affected our band uh, in a way where we just we wanted to not. We wanted, we just wanted there to be somebody that was treating our band um, the same way that we were kind of like prioritizing these other bands. Like we wanted our records to always be in print. We wanted uh, them to pay for radio because like we didn't pay for that for our record or whatever. Why do you think that you were favoring other people's records over your own? Was that to just not to appear like you're favoriting yourself? No, I think that. I don't know. I think there was like a, we kind of cared more about the other artists. Right. I mean, I still, I still kind of feel that way. Hmm. Um, I'm really happy that Sub Pop picked up Level Up because I, I feel like we wouldn't have done as good. Oh, obviously there's Sub Pop, but like <laughs> we, we wouldn't have prioritized it in the way that I wanted a label to prioritize the band. Right. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, yeah, there is that that aspect. Is it hard to to pitch yourself as well? Oh, like like say check out my new record to blocks. Um, it got a little less hard just because we have like somebody doing PR for us now who will just like do that for us. Right, right. But um, I would say that was the main reason. Like we weren't we weren't uh. We just weren't prioritizing the band the way we wanted it to be prioritized. Um, what did you What did you learn about running a label from being on such a legendary label like Sub Pop? Did you learn things from them? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> it was it was really sick. Yeah, I bet. We, uh, when we when Level Up got to go to Seattle for like our it was like a marketing meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really yeah, it was just really interesting, kind of hearing the way that they we're going to be like rolling out the just rolling out the album mm. um like what processes they had in place what they found worked and what didn't work and i would i was asking questions too being like oh like what how come how come you guys do it this way like just like really curious like yeah. why that works better and they were telling us like oh that makes so much sense so there have been a few things that i've tried to incorporate in in DDW, um, and some things that I was just like, I, I like the way that we do it already, so I kept those. And I, I find out about a lot of labels because I've worked pretty closely with um, a few labels like that, and everyone has their own system. Like, mm. no one does it the same. True. Yeah. And so I draw a little bit of everything from, like, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, from, from all these different labels, and then that kind of has created what DDW's processes are. Interesting. Yeah, that would be, I mean, that's like an uh, incredible, like, um, internship in a way, (laughs) like just getting some insights, like actual insights, getting to be on, into meetings because you are the band. I think that's great. Are they cool with you running a label on the side? Oh yeah, they love it. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, I think as far as I can tell, they, they, no, cause they, they really use that is part of like level ups narrative like you okay. know when they're talking about like what's this what's what's level up story it's like they've done this thing they're involved in like all of these other uh projects that are going on or like yeah some of the members lived at this like uh like venue in new york city and some some were running this label and some are uh 
you know, one of the members like builds his own pedals and like all of this. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So just kind of like crafting like a narrative out of like the things that we're involved in. But they, yeah, they like it. They they buy stuff from me. Uh, like they stock old level up releases and old Frankie Cosmos releases because they also just signed Frankie Cosmos. Oh wow, amazing! Yeah, that's great. Did did DDW promote that level up record at all? Return to Love. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like I mean, they they did all the promo for it, but we, um, you know, you like still promoted it in terms of like to that yeah. those fans. Yeah. Yeah, we were like, hey, check, like, Level Up went to this other label, but, like, we still represent all these old things, so you should check check them all out. Yeah. Well, that's so great. That's so cool. Um, I would say, I don't want to take any more of your time, but I, I would say that, that uh, you know, you guys have had, in, like I said, in my, in my mind, I think you guys have had incredible success, especially in the past, like, full calendar year, just so many great releases, and and. And yesterday, going through some of your pre-orders, I'm like, oh my goodness, they've got another year ahead of them <laughs> of great stuff. Um, d- does having like a string of really well-received records put any kind of pressure on you, or or is it just keep on going business as usual? Uh, I think it just keeps going business as usual. Like I, I still feel like I learn something new every time we put out a record, or any time that. Uh, a record gets especially successful. Like I, I learned something new, which I just apply to the next release. Hmm. Um, so that's just been kind of, yeah, I, I feel like it's too busy to really stop and like think. I just feel like we just keep like chugging away and it's like, okay, this worked for this. Let's do it on the next album. That's great. That's awesome, man. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, it's It's been so great to talk to you and I, I love, I really do love your label and and I've been, um, right at the very beginning uh, of thinking about doing this podcast and reaching out to people, uh, I wanted to, to, to connect with you. Um, just, I'm just such a big fan. That's so nice. Thank, thanks so much, Scott. You can find more about Double Double Whammy by going to their website, which is basically their name uh, without vowels. So it's dblwhmmy.com, and their band camp is the same. And you can also um, probably find uh, their records in in some of your uh, local independent record shops. So make sure that you check out their artists and and grab a record, although I'm, I'm sure you probably already have. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. And you can email me at podcast at otherrecordlabels.com if there's uh, anything you want to talk about.